Welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast, hosted by Alison Humphreys. The Recruitment Leadership Podcast is here to help those in the recruitment industry gain awareness and understanding on the hot topics faced by those in the business of hiring people. In each episode, Alison Humphreys is joined by a fellow expert to offer professional knowledge, insight and advice on the biggest subjects affecting recruitment businesses. It's the podcast to listen to for recruitment business frontrunners seeking expert information from industry-leading advisors. Welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. and welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. Thanks very much again for joining us. In this series, we are focusing on tools and techniques that are very relevant to the owners and directors of recruitment businesses in this new market. And as this uh, podcast is broadcast, Many of the people in our community are returning to work, some of them physically, for the first time in a long time. We're returning to a very different environment. Even if you're back in your office, it's maybe uh, an environment in which remote working will be a reality for us and for our client community for a, a considerable time. We're also in an environment where Many, if not most, of the community are experiencing a scarcity of jobs that they may not have experienced before. So a completely different balance between candidates and clients and what's driving the market. So for lots of recruiters, they are seeking powerful ways to establish conversations with new and existing clients about how they can address their needs in a timely way right now. So, um, our topic today is psychometric assessment. Now, for many, again, if not most of uh, the audience, their experience of psychometric testing probably boils down to taking personality-based assessments. And let's be honest, in many cases, they're used at the last stage of of a recruitment process simply to confirm your own opinions. Uh, And if they don't, very often those psychometric uh, reports are are just put away in a drawer. And there's actually so much more to this field that um, many of our listeners won't be aware of. So stick with us. I think you'll be impressed by some of the very interesting success stories that you'll hear. And later on, there is a special offer for our audience. So I'm delighted to be joined today by two representatives from Sigma Polaris, which is a pretty new offering on the psychometric horizon. And first of all, Nemo de Krill, who is the founder and architect of Sigma Polaris. Welcome, Nemo. Thank you very much for having me, Alison. Uh, it's a pleasure. So, quick intro. Nemo has a world-class, impressive academic career. So, apart from his first degree in maths, his master's in logic, and his doctorate in higher-order probability theory, I think I got that right, Nemo has also had a successful career in business. I think you've worked with probably one of the best-known Danish brands, Let Lego, haven't you, Nemo? I have indeed, yes. So, it was an interesting time. But really unusually... You have been a professional flautist for the Danish Royal Court. Just tell us how that came about. 
I always knew I was probably going to study mathematics because I found it fascinating and I loved the problems. But I also thought after I finished my A-levels that I wanted a little bit of a break before going into, into the academic world. So as any good mathematicians, I decided to join the army. Uh-huh. And um, in the army, I then realized something which was in the, like, the Danish sort of landscape. It's, it's really, really cold. So, <laughs> so after about four months, I applied for the flautist unit and got in so that I didn't have to stand outside in the cold all the time. Okay. <laughs> all right. It's a very pragmatic choice, but you must have been a pretty damn good flautist to uh, have uh, been asked to play at the Royal Court. Well, I, I did my best, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Really interesting. Thank you. So we're also joined today by Alex Shikani. Alex is the Operations Director of Sigma Polaris. Welcome, Alex. And uh, your career, you also had a bit of a military background, but just walk us very quickly through how you came to be doing the job you're doing now, if you would. Hi, thank you very much for having me. And thanks for the warm welcome. My background was in the Air Force, where I became a fuel subject matter expert. And one of my highlights was uh, was managing a budget up to a billion dollars. I left the Air Force with an MBA from Cranfield, and that really helped pave the path for me into enterprise and entrepreneurship. I, I founded a telecom startup, then joined a, a different telecom startup. And it was with that organization where I actually left and uh, went into the financial services sector, which helped pave the way for me to become a business growth coach for my own company, which led me to to work with Sigma Polaris. Okay, cool. And so during both of your careers, you will have had some first-hand experience of psychometric testing. And we're going to talk later on about what it does well and what it can't do or how perhaps more accurately how sometimes the power of psychometrics is abused for the benefit of our listeners i'm going to ask nemo to just explain what do we mean at its broadest by the term psychometric testing what is it what does it do nemo so psychometric testing has actually been around for a very long time since the since the 1880s and it's meant quite a few things since then and still do. One of them, as you brought up earlier, is the personality assessments, like extrovert or introvert. Then we also have aptitude tests, which would be like your cognitive abilities. Uh, for instance, on occasion measured through, measured through IQ measures. But we also then on top of that, which is a lot more relevant in the current day and age, we see assessments into skills and knowledge which would be how much do you know, which are considered also psychometric assessments. So all of these things fall inside of the field of psychometrics. I presume that's quite different from what is normally thought in a, like amongst your listeners. No, Alison? Yeah, I think, you're, I think you're right, Nemo, in that in many cases, particularly for internal recruitment into recruitment businesses, people are just using personality tests. And that part of that is because it's been tricky to work out what the essential knowledge and skills are for a recruitment career. But obviously, also our recruitment audience is interested in this from a point of view of their clients who are in all sorts of sectors. Now, you said something interesting just then, Nemo, which was that in the present time, there's a lot more emphasis on skills and knowledge testing. Is that a recent thing or is that a more because of COVID crisis or is that 
uh, more general trend? So both. We've definitely been seeing, like with access to data, also like uh, like uh, like online large depository of data, that say coders, the ability to assess coders based on coding standards by having them do various online assessments have proven immensely powerful in selecting the best ones. So that would be completely inside of the skills sphere. And we've also seen it inside of the knowledge sphere in various cases where this type of assessment is often just considered aptitude assessments, even though they're skills assessments, and they are exploding. But we're also seeing a bit of a like decline might be a little far yet, but at least a slowing down of the entire wave of their personality assessments, like say the brick style personality assessment. And the primary reason for that is that one thing they have always lacked has been an ability to prove that they increase performance. In the sense, they give some really good insights and many people get the aha moments when they get their own profiles, as I'm sure you've also experienced yourself. But two two things that, that have been a little unfortunate, you might say, for the movement is one of them, if you take the assessment and I get like multiple times, your answers, like your profile is likely to change. And the other one is that it's been shown that people of a personality type are more likely to apply for certain roles, but it's mm-hmm. been unable to show on any relevant scale that they actually do better. And Despite the movement being so large, the lack of this evidence sort of on a larger scale is is making it slow down a bit. Right. Okay. That is really interesting. Now, a lot of our listeners will also um, be thinking, uh, you know, possibly from their own experience, that psychometrics is, you know, the icing on the cake. It's a nice to have rather than a need to have. And very often comes right at the very end of a selection process, where, as I mentioned earlier, it's just used to confirm bias or it gets ignored. But actually, you know, the right test used appropriately can make a real difference. I mean, Alex, you've said to me before that it can actually save lives. Can you just give us some specific examples of that? Yes, of course. With the Air Force, they had started using aptitude tests in 1947, whereas in 1946, the Air Force had actually suffered 20 fatal accidents caused within the flying accidents world. So in 1947, aptitude tests were specifically designed and introduced to reduce the amount of aircraft accidents and improve flight safety. And the resulting factor was enormous. There were three fatal accidents in 1947 following the aptitude tests, which is a huge difference. So clearly there's a, there's a large decrease in the loss of life but the effectiveness of those tests also had significant operational and financial benefits as well. So what had the Air Force been using prior to that? Prior to using this type of psychometric test and the aptitude test, the Air Force were just interviewing in a very traditional manner, which showed no special regard to the abilities of individual candidates to perform a specific task, i.e. flying. So the aptitude tests were designed and introduced specifically to hone in on that one skill set, and it has had absolutely brilliant results for the Air Force. Mm. Okay. All right. Thank you. So just to bring that into parallel for those recruiters who place 
candidates in business. Now, getting the right test may not save a life, although it might actually uh, for some of our clients. But you know, recruitment's a fairly big risk for a lot of employers. It's costly. The damage that can be done by some poor recruitment or bad fit is significant and lasting. And so while it might not be about saving lives, involving a test at the right stage, the right test and using the results correctly can make a significant contribution to the success of that placement and indeed gives you a great objective measure of your own recruitment services as well to back those up. Okay, so guys, you, you've obviously had a lot of exposure to psychometrics and clearly the research piece behind it. Nemo, what led you to identify that there was a need for a new kind of test? What is the gap that Sigma Polaris now addresses? Well, I think that's a good question. And I think we can actually tie that a little bit into what we just spoke about because it's the ability to find the right people in an efficient way with some measurable, that's the metric bit of psychometric assessment. And I was just surprised about how many things were down to recruiters, the burden on them to they themselves figuring out how skilled a verbal reasoner or arithmetic reasoner the person they were interviewing was, or their work preferences, that they had to figure all of these things out without like rigorous assessment things in place. And I realized that this tool could be extremely powerful for them. And when we're talking about like right now, thematically, like when you said this could almost save lives, first of all, cost, as you say, and then the risk and all of these things, being able to find the right people a lot faster and more efficiently, like you save loads of money and heartache for sure. You know, LinkedIn put out a, an app, uh, like a, a study that showed that the wrong hire at 40K salary could cost a company up towards 180,000. But also at this point in time, you don't want to send loads of candidates to then be interviewed. You want to send the right candidates. Employers want you to send the right candidates. They will care more than ever that you don't send them 10 candidates, that you send them two or three which means they want confidence as well, that you have done your due diligence. And it's not fair for a recruiter who has you know, no maths background potentially to assess a coder's arithmetic reasoning abilities. So being able to give them this tool so they can go to an employer and say, these people are the three people you want to talk with. And we have strong reasons that go beyond just what they said on their LinkedIn and CV to believe they're going to be the right people. That will potentially save lives. Okay. Right. So um, I can't emphasize this enough. The REC Jobs Outlook that's just been released points out that we have had the quickest increase in candidate availability since the dark days of July 2009. So we are in a different place here. We need to be able to rapidly prioritize candidates for roles and pick off those who display the best aptitude in an objective way first off. And on top of that, though, we need to make sure that whatever testing or stages are introduced, that they aren't impacting hugely on cost for a recruiter in the current market, because, you know, the reality is that most recruitment business owners are really concerned about their financial standing. So tell us a little bit more about the product 
and what it does particularly well that perhaps hasn't been properly addressed before. Nemo. Certainly. So we're in conversation with uh, with Vodafone, where they have a very, very large number of applicants. Let's just say that, because I cannot go into too much detail. But they estimated that by putting an assessment such as ours in the beginning of that candidate funnel, to wean it down from the very large number into a tangible amount that they can speak with, they could save up to 90% of that time in their screening. And that's the thing we're seeing. When we're seeing, like we had some studies showed over 110 CVs per position before this entire crisis. Now, as you say, it's just, it's drastically increasing. And in that situation, you like having a tool to find the most suitable people, but also when you find them, have an objective piece of document you can then take forward to a prospective employer saying, not only did I find this person, this is also a reason why they are so awesome, will just be almost necessary, or you will have to do the good old, put them in chronological order and don't actually assess half of them, which would be a massive loss of of talent. Mm. Okay. So despite what I'm saying about candidate availability, it's also really important that candidates are, are willing and able to do undertake any test, particularly if, as you say, you want to introduce it at the beginning of a, a recruitment funnel rather than at the end. So engagement at the, with the candidate at that point tends to be lower and any hurdles that you put in their place will will tend to put more people off. Do you have any data on Polaris and levels of user acceptability uptake, if you like. Uh, yes, sure. We've got uh, we've got some really good information and insights into how engaging candidates find our assessments. So we know, for instance, that eighty five percent of candidates that start our assessments complete it, which is higher than the traditional success rate of submitting a CV and under tailored letter of introduction, for example. We also know that about half of the people that end up shortlisted and being interviewed actually get offered a, a job as well, which is much higher than the standard route through, say, traditional recruitment processes. Can you give us a specific example of where a recruiter has used this test to get higher levels of offers? Because at the end of the day, that's what makes a recruiter more money. So do you have a specific? Well, I think Nemo is probably the best place to, to answer that one. Yes, I've worked with uh, with Knowledgy, who is a daughter company of Obus Talent Solution, who I'm sure most of your listeners will be familiar with, an international recruitment firm. And they pitch us as part of their value proposition, unique value proposition to Deutsche Bank, in saying they would use us to find diverse candidates, put an like, objective assessment in place that couldn't either take direct discrimination, either uh, conscious or unconscious bias, but also unable to look at indirect cultural discrimination, which would be via, say, which universities they went to or similar, that they would go in and say, who are the best people? And those are the people we will speak with. And we had a, a soft testimony come out about that, that Deutsche Bank said they would have been unable to find as qualified and diverse people if it hadn't been for the pre-screening methods used. Okay. And in that particular example, what kind of numbers were going in the top of the funnel and what was coming out at the end? So in that case, they had a couple of thousands applicants, I think it was for 12 positions. It might have been 16 positions. It's a little while ago. More recently, we had a company in Cardiff called Omnidynamics who had 
1,000 applicants when they stopped their adverts uh, just north of that. And they had four positions specifically they were, they were filling out. And you, after shortlisting, they came down to 12 candidates. They identified the idea of various skills and, and, and trades. And after speaking with these 12 candidates, they actually determined that all of them were qualified for an offer. So they didn't even care if the first people accepted, which three of the first four did. They had them lined up. They were completely comfortable. They had found their people, which they said they had never tried before. Right. Now, just because if I can just narrow in on you use the term shortlisting and most of our listeners will have a very clear idea about what shortlisting is. And that's quite a long way down the funnel. But what you're describing here is using Sigma Polaris to shortlist candidates at the very first first or second stage of the recruitment process. So we're at the stage where this company, Omnidynamics, had a thousand candidates. They asked them all to undertake the Sigma Polaris test or what? Yeah, exactly. And basically, they will get ranked in order of suitability immediately after taking the assessment. So you can have up to 100,000 people for every one job and you will get them ranked in order of how good they are. And then you only need to you know, talk to, you know, depending on how many positions you have, the top 20, top 30, top you know, 1,000. Okay. So in that case, then they would have literally just started at the top of the results list and gone down, spoken to those candidates then to establish their availability and whether their salary expectations were in line with the, the job, but literally not needing to go down that list very far. Is, have, have I understood that? No, that's completely correct. Right. Now, one of the things that I know our listeners will be interested in is ease of use. And um, we've touched on, I want to discuss more deeply now, um, the abuse, if you will, of psychometric tests. So the issue where a test is not specifically designed for a particular job type, but it's the one that that particular user is is familiar with. Or perhaps they even have a commercial deal, that, you know, so that they don't consider, is this test really relevant? And I've personally had a lot of experience of this at executive level recruitment, where at the last stages, a an employer says, well, we better just make sure there's nothing worryingly psychopathic in this person's makeup. <laughs> and they get them to complete some self-reported personality style test. Now, I know that despite what test publishers keep trying to reassure me, I know hundreds of people in the recruitment environment who will swear that they have been personally been able to game personality tests because they kind of knew what a what the questions were looking to establish to measure and b what the stereotypical personality type was that the end employer was was looking for you know so for example a lot of people in the recruitment agency business would look for someone who's very high drive goal orientated person with you know perhaps lower levels of compliance and steadiness but the ability to speed up and reprioritize very very quickly just to pick some examples now what is it about sigma polaris that helps rule that kind of bias out and why would it be more appropriate to use at the beginning of a process than other tests? Yeah, so I think there was basically three questions in there. Uh, yes. I'll just summarize them. It was, how is it abused? Uh, mm -hmm. Can it be gained? 
And uh, what is the the advantage <laughs> in a sense? Well done, good. Uh, you can tell you're the log- logician. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I, I will start with the second one because there, I, I love uh, McKinsey came out with a report about pair assessments where they, they said, uh, first of all, there is things in place to make it difficult to gain. But they said, if you buy the books on how to do their assessment and you spend 100 hours and you're clever, you can beat their assessment. But if you do that, they want to give you a shot. <laughs> yeah. I, I like that a lot, like in the sense that we've made it very difficult to game hours. And also, we don't look at, say, a true, like, is this a goal-driven person? We look at, say, is this a person that have a preference towards working on ideation or implementation tasks, where there's no right answer? And then we put them in contexts and ask, which of these two scenarios would you prefer? We then put them in multiple different such contexts and from that derive it. And you yourself sat it. And, and I remember when you said that, that you found it quite interesting how you could see some of the things looked at multiple different uh, variables, but you couldn't always figure out which. And, you know, that's sort of the thing, right? So that's sort of like both the gameability of it. You know, you can, you can like game arithmetic reasoning by doing a lot of maths. But if you do that, you know, let's consider you if you do it well enough. And the other two were sort of the... Um, why you would want to. Now, in using, like, why why to use this and where it should be used? Like, everyone wants to be able to use a quantitative, accurate assessment in the beginning of the process, but many times it's really expensive. Partly if they're qualitative, like if they require human input. And because ours is is data-driven and it's designed to be in the beginning, you can do this of everyone. Like, literally, you can do it of 90,000 people without an issue, and it's going to be you know, roughly the, the same costs, where most assessments are used very late in the assessment funnel, as you said, and they're used to confirm the bias. But that also means that a lot of employers are going to lose a lot of faith in them. If you put them in the beginning, you save time, you find better people. And the reason why we're interesting in some ways is because we don't have that barrier of, uh, you know, charging per candidate, which means you have a strong interest in getting fewer people through. We say get as many people through as you can, because then our software can find better people. And to our advantage, our software can train itself further to get even better than it is now. I think there was one more question, which I summarized in the beginning, but I have now forgotten, Alison. <laughs> okay. Well, it doesn't matter. We've we've got loads of stuff there. So, um, so what we've got here is a test that look that looks at preferences, behavioral preferences, as well as actual abilities. And having taken it myself, as you say, it's actually very engaging. It uses Disney characters and so forth. But the questions aren't just basic multiple choice, are they? They they're assessing multiple skill, multiple abilities at the same time, like problem solving and, and ideation and, and but also your numerical reasoning and so forth. Yes? Yeah, that is correct. And that, that's okay. one of the things that make it novel. Yes. Yeah, right. Okay. And we're also getting that your costing model actually encourages people to put as many candidates as possible through at the beginning of the process. So we don't need to go into details of costing right now, but you cost per job that the assessment's used for rather than per candidate. Is that correct? That is the license structure. That is correct. Yeah. Okay, great. Right. And we've also established that we've got a very, it's very highly user acceptable, 85% completion rates. And this is particularly relevant in a market where many of our recruiter audience are going to be, you know, frankly, dealing with far more candidates when fewer jobs than they have done previously. So those are all powerful differentiators. 
One of the things that we, we touched on earlier was that tests get abused because unsuitable tests are applied to candidates stroke in job situations because they're just familiar to the user. So how does Sigma Polaris address that? How do you make it suitable for all types of jobs, Nima? No, I think that's a really good question. Uh, one of the things we do is the way our profiles are portrayed is basically how people are positioned relative to others. So say uh, if you get 90 in a preference towards uh, solo or teamwork, it means that you have a, like you are in the top 10% of the people who prefer teamwork the most, which people can then just use as a sort of their life experience and be like, okay, that means in my you know, high school class of 30 people, they would be amongst the three people that preferred it the most. Okay, that's roughly going to be that much. Then every single job, you basically tailor a job profile to what you're looking for based on roughly what you think you want from a person. And based on that, it recalibrates and changes the ranking. So if you put arithmetic reasoning higher, that may put some people higher because all of a sudden that high score in that is now more important. So you can tailor to each individual job. Right. Okay. Now, and, and that's um, an important conversation to have with the, uh, between the recruiter and the client, isn't it? To say, well, actually, you know, what are the the most important criteria here? And for example, you may want someone who's going to be brilliant at maths in an ideal world, but if they're going to have the support of a, you know, a well-run, organized finance department with, you know, analytic accountants, perhaps that client, that candidate doesn't need to be in the top decile for, for maths ability. Is that, is, is that the kind of tailoring you're talking about? Exactly. You will always get a better position if you do better in a skill. Hey, ideally, you want someone that says yes to everything and, and just got every question right. But you're completely right. It's the one about prioritizing it. And this also gives the client a feeling of control of the process, that they are part of determining who gets shortlisted, that it's not just random. Exactly. Yeah. And in fact, in an ideal world, particularly for strategic appointments, it can be really useful for the recruiter to have that conversation with three or four stakeholders in the position, because sometimes, you know, what they are looking for turns out, you know, say what the finance director is looking for from a new MD is completely different from what the, oh, the director of sales is looking for from a, a new MD. So actually having that conversation and getting all the stakeholders to agree can greatly assist your search for the right candidate and your qualification of the right candidate in any event. But if as with Sigma Polaris, in a very simple sort of click and drag mechanism, you can tailor the psychometric as well. Then the power that that objective prioritization of candidates adds is immense, isn't it? And I, you know, I have used the test myself, so I can absolutely confirm how easy it is to tailor and to roll out to candidates. Okay. Now, at a very practical level, our listeners, there'll be some of them thinking, okay, I want to talk, learn more about this. This sounds like something I could take to my clients if it's low cost and it's easy to use and easy for me to understand. So, Alex, where should they look? How should they contact you um, to take this further? Well, people are very welcome, of course, to look us up online, sigmaplaris.com, or have a look at our LinkedIn page. Alternatively, people are more than welcome to get 
in direct contact with myself. It's alex at sigmapolaris.com. From there, really, we can start engaging as to working out exactly what their requirements are and how they should be using the tool to get the very most for their business and the very best candidates brought forward. Now, I believe you've got a time-limited offer for the recruitment leadership listeners. So, Alex, can you just outline what that is, please? Uh, Yeah, that's right. So we're offering a time-limited proposal for the first 150 clients to use our software via the platform for free. And the reason to do this is to help businesses really gain the the maximum value they possibly can from our software at, at such an important time. Okay, fabulous. Right. So basically, they should get in contact with you, Alex, and quote the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. Just a housekeeping point. Nobody wants to be covering off yet more channels in their recruitment business. So is it possible to link Sigma Polaris to typical recruitment CRMs like Bullhorn and Access? Nemo? Uh, Yes, it's entirely possible. Doing the free trial, it would be over our platform. But following that, we have API calls available so we can link them into any of the classical or even on like more call them niche systems out there. Okay, great. Okay. And so what's in the future for the Sigma Polaris business, Nemo? Yes, it's an exciting time in the sense that obviously it's it's a very volatile time. And as you said, changes we haven't seen since you know, 2008, both amazing and, and obviously also detrimental in certain sectors. But we're really looking forward to being able to offer our software to help with the burden of candidates and to help companies you know, keep the like as much remote as is possible. And we're positioning ourselves in that regard. And also following that's been taking on a special net for strategic uh, purposes, being you, Alison. Uh, we are <laughs> extremely pleased about that, to be able to position ourselves in the most effective way to aid companies and businesses in this time. Great. Okay. So yes, full disclosure, I have accepted uh, an invitation to become a non-exec Sigma Polaris. And I hope to be talking to lots of people in the recruitment community about why I wanted to do that and why I think it's so relevant. So just to summarize, what we have here is a a jobs-driven market where we need um, as much credibility as possible in prioritizing candidates really quickly and objectively. We need it at a low cost. Sigma Polaris definitely fulfills that, especially if you're able to use the invitation that has just been extended. And we need something that's easy to implement, which I can absolutely confirm it is. And Alex, I'm sure, will be happy to demonstrate just how easy later on. So to Nemo and Alex, thank you very much for joining me today. I hope you'll turn this listening into action. Thank you all for listening to Recruitment Leadership Podcast. You've been listening to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe, review and share so that others can find the podcast too. We really appreciate your support. If you have any questions about the topics covered or wish to find out more about recruitment leadership, please email alison at recruitmentleadership.co.uk referencing the podcast. We're also on LinkedIn where you can follow recruitment leadership and connect with Alison Humphreys. Thank you for listening and we hope you join us next time for another episode of the Recruitment Leadership Podcast.